Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the God and My Girlfriends podcast. I'm your host, Marsha Ramirez, and I have some amazing special guests this season, and we're going to dive into some topics that will help us all learn how to nurture our spiritual lives, nurture our friendships, and nurture ourselves. I'm so glad you're here. Hi friends, Marsha here. I'm back in Nashville for a few days and I am loving a break in the summer humidity, feeling the cooler fall air start to invade. Fall is my favorite. I mean, I I feel like fall is everyone's favorite, (laughs) but I know it's not true. I actually talked to a friend the other day who said that she's already starting to grieve summer and she wasn't kidding she really is feeling that sort of grieving of uh, probably the longer days with the with the uh, sun coming out I don't know I, I wanted to be a weather girl when I was little so I think seasons are kind of fascinating but I I truly am a fall girl and more of a winter girl than I am a summer girl I just but fall, I mean, I just love everything about it. I love the cooler temps. I love the clothes, the smells, the food, all the soups and chilies. And, of course, I love football. So, anyway, for all of you that are really getting sad about the end of flip-flop weather, I'm looking at you, Monica Zanotti. <laughs> well, I truly am sorry. I know it's sad, but hopefully you can find a little bit of happiness in the fact that your fall friends are in heaven right now. <laughs> I love October. Love it, love it. Speaking of fall food, today's guest is going to give us some absolutely fantastic information about our relationships with food and with our bodies. Our guest today is Dr. Maggie Landis. I became aware of her and her work through my friend Carissa Lilly. Carissa had just seen a a fascinating interview in an Instagram Live between Dr. Landis and dietitian Lauren Sharp. Um, They were discussing the anti-diet movement and how so many women have fallen prey to the lies told to us by the big diet culture. I mean, almost every woman I know has been influenced by diet culture. It's a billion-dollar business that has convinced us all that we need to be thin to be healthy and to be happy, popular, or beautiful. Today we're going to talk about that big lie and how we can learn to trust our bodies and follow a more intuitive eating approach on our journey to real health at every size. I think you're really going to love this conversation today, so let me just get to it. I'll tell you about my guest. Dr. Maggie Landis is a board-certified physician, public health nutritionist, and anti-diet wellness expert. She created her signature Get Eat Fluenced coaching program to help women who are exasperated with chronic dieting be able to fix their food overwhelm and live a full and unrestricted life pursuing their personal passions and attain optimal health without the distraction of rigid eating behavior. She's also the creator and host of the Eat Fluencer podcast, where she and her guests dig into the mindset work that's required to construct a healthy, complete, and high-quality life, unlimited by the oppression of diet culture. 
You're going to learn a little bit about Maggie's personal story and her journey and why it's so important to her to get to the real truth about food in our bodies. And you'll see that Maggie has done all the hard work of researching this, so we don't have to, and she is a trustworthy source for us. So let's not wait another minute, y'all. Let's just get ready um, for my very inspiring and educational conversation with the wonderful Dr. Maggie Landis. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Marsha. I have been so fascinated by your work ever since my friend Carissa Lilly actually reposted something of yours on Instagram. You're very active on Instagram and I love yes. that. <laughs> I and am. Mm-hmm. I love all your little videos. And when they come in my feed, I just laugh. They're great. Um, and so she posted something. She knew that I was starting season two of this podcast. And she said, hey, you should see if you could get... Dr. Maggie Landison. She's doing some really interesting work. And so I looked you up and then I signed up. You were just having a free workshop, an hour long workshop. I signed up for the workshop, got in there with a bunch of wonderful ladies, listened to your information. And I was captivated because I don't know a single woman that hasn't been struggling with diets and weight and, and relationship with their body and relationship with food. And what you had to say that night was actually relieving for me. It was a relief to hear somebody go, Oh, okay. Wait, there, there's another way this, there's something else going on here. So I want to dive in. I have so many questions for you and I know we have a limited amount of time, but before we get into too much about it, I just want to ask you, we were saying before we got on here about, I can tell that you're passionate about, you know, this, and part of it is about really helping women. And that's what we're about here with our ministry. What started your journey here into this, I guess, anti-diet culture. And pardon me if I don't use all the right language, cause I'm still new at this. Yeah. Period. Well, it's kind of a, I mean, yes, it's anti-diet, non-diet. It's sort of, and I want to make really clear when we say diet culture, you know, which is a word I use a lot. I'm sure you realize that is we're not talking about a diet, like a specific branded, like the diet, you know, we're talking about the set of social and cultural beliefs that we are all indoctrinated into. So even if you're quote, not dieting, you're still in diet culture. If you have been alive in the last 70 years, (laughs) I mean, which is all of us. So it's, um, it's a, I just want to make that clear because people sometimes are like, well, this doesn't sort of apply to me, you know? And that's where I think really the whole universal, um, appeal of this is like you said, this is every single woman who was raised over the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And this is the normative social belief system. So you have to deliberately think differently. Like it takes, you know, this, this is the path of least resistance. And so to think differently and to recognize there's another way it it takes a decision to do that. There's a, there's a decision point. And for me, just to answer your question, I am, you know, I'm in my mid forties. So I grew up in the eighties and nineties with a, you know, fat free everything and drink as much diet Coke as you can possibly get your hands <laughs> on. And right. you know, 
Richard Simmons is handing out deal of meals or whatever is going on. Oh so, yeah, I did deal. Yeah, meal. right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so all the things and um, I, you know, to be honest, I, my medical education was no different. There is this is probably a major shocker. Doctors learn very little about nutrition in medical school. Very little, and a lot of the stuff that they do learn is. Um, I don't want to say biased, that's a strong word, but it is very colored and influenced by diet culture. So it's not totally clean. There's not a clean line between this is science and this is my sort of personal opinion as a provider, right? There's a very blurry space there where we treat patients. And that's just, that's how it is when you have human providers treating human patients, you know, but for me, the turning point honestly came, um, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer myself. Oh, wow. And I don't even know if you know that part of the story, but in that sort of forced, uh, pause in my profession, I had to take six months off work to be treated and all this sort of stuff. I thought, and this is my diet culture brain talking. Okay. That there's a perfect human diet somewhere. And I'm the last person to figure it out. And I'm, I am going to figure it out because I am not going to die. Right. That's my, that's in what's going through my head. So, and I take things a little too far. So I decided to, <laughs> so instead of just, you know, reading a few headlines, what most people would do, I like enrolled in graduate school and said, I'm going to get a master's degree in nutrition because I need to know as much as possible scientific information about nutrition. That was, that was my thought. Right. And lo and behold, get into this graduate school program, which is no different than any of the other ones and realize they're still teaching the stuff about nutrition. And this is in the year 2017, 2018 that I learned in the nineties in medical school. Okay. That's crazy. Cause so it, there, hadn't, it hadn't progressed at all. Not really. Not really. I mean, you would think new information all the time. It should constantly be like updating and progressing. right? Exactly. So that, I mean, and that's the thing is that nutrition science is a science. And so there is constant evolution of information. We get better data, we get better ideas. We, you know, we innovate, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, it's like, it's kind of, um, sidelined from this idea of scientific progress because, we wouldn't, you wouldn't go to the doctor and they're like, Hey, we have some surgical equipment here. We got in 1960. Do you want us to do your operation? You know, you like you'd run. Right. So, but for some reason with nutrition, I guess, cause it's sort of just everybody's involved and it's kind of something we all do and it's food. It's not a pharmaceutical. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from, but it's sort of like somebody published a paper in the fifties. I mean, we're talking the fifties is now almost 75 years ago. And that is like biblical truth, you know, and it's really weird. And so, but there's nobody ever questions it because we're so busy. And I don't blame the individual doctor. Had I not gotten cancer and been, it took six months off work. I probably wouldn't have questioned it either. I'd still be doing what I was doing before because you're just in the weeds all the time. So you just do the best with what you have. But when you have the luxury of stepping back and kind of looking at it from the most objective discerning point of view, you realize that the science supports something totally different than what's being uh, kind of amplified through this whole message. And the, the message of diet culture, this is in a, in the one nutshell 
your body size is within your control. Okay. That's a belief. That's not true. You can control it. You should control it. Mm. And if you don't choose to control it, then you are a failure. And that's basic. That's the summary of it. And and every woman has felt that. Mm-hmm. And whether you felt it from a doctor, from your spouse, from the headline on a magazine cover, from the internet, from the, whoever you heard it from, everybody's felt that, but see, that is, that is a false belief system. And you have the choice to continue to participate in that way of thinking or not. That's the relief. Mm-hmm. When you said you came to my workshop and you were like, relieved is frequently a word I get from people. They're like, oh my word, I had no idea that this was not my burden. Like this is not my problem as an individual person. Right. And it, if you learn nothing else, but that that's like major. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And of course we're not saying that it, that we don't need to care about um, what we eat or, or how we take care of our bodies. It's actually the opposite that we're saying, right. You know, you're Correct. saying that it's a different route to health and that, well, yeah. Health and weight are not the same word. They are right. not synonyms. They are not the same word. They're not defined by the same thing. They're not. And we, we collectively make this, um, interchange where, oh, I want to lose weight, but I want to do it for health, but I want to get healthy, but I really want to slim down, but I want to like, we, we swip swap the words out and mm-hmm. they're not the same word. So if you want to talk about health, Absolutely. I mean, I am line leader in the health promotion line. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm a doctor, I'm a public health professional like this. That's my deal. Mm -hmm. But weight loss is honestly not on that list as a line item, you know, thing. And it's, and that's not just my personal opinion. That's actually what the science shows. And so that's why I can sort of, you know, say that with confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look at all the different diets, and, and how much money the diet industry is making off of all of us. And then you rarely see anyone like go through a diet and be able to continue it the rest of their life and, and thrive on that diet. It does. You don't see that happening. I mean, you know, maybe a very small percentage of people, but most people that I know, most of my women friends have just circled through, well, we'll try uh, Weight Watchers. Okay. We'll try Atkins. We'll try uh, Noom is the new one, I guess. You know, there's always a new one, right? So why don't diets work? Well, okay. (laughs) Short answer. (laughs) Yeah. The short answer. So they don't work. Okay. First of all, it's obvious that they don't work because just as you said, the average woman has tried dozens up to potentially hundreds of Mm -hmm. dieting in their life. And if any of those, any of them worked, we would be done. Like we would not even be talking about this because it would be done. If, if you could participate in a diet, you, you pay your money, you join the program, whatever it is, and it works and you lose weight and you're healthy and you're happy and everything's great. And you never have to do another one we'd be done. Like we would have all signed up for it in 1984 and be over. Like we wouldn't have this this cyclical (laughs) thing. Yeah. This, this sort of cyclical relationship with it. But the reason they don't work in one sentence is because they are challenging our own biology. And the deal is you can't do that for a long period of time. Okay. You can do that for a little bit. You can kind of 
white knuckle and override your native human functioning, but you can never win that in the long term. Never, not a mm. person, because our body is better than us. <laughs> our body is smarter than us. I mean, it's designed perfectly. You know, I mean, I believe in divine creation, but even like, even if somebody doesn't really buy into that completely, it's just really good engineering. Like mm -hmm. it, it has to work. That's how we don't go extinct as a species. If it didn't work, it wouldn't work. Right. So, so we can, you can only override your inborn sort of internal programming for so long. And what is quote, so long, I don't know. For some people, that's three days. For some people, that's three weeks. For some people, that's maybe a year. You really like, and, and the interesting part is when you look at the um, weight loss literature that the diet companies show you, you know, of mm -hmm. course they're going to show you one that shows their stuff works. The follow-up on most of those is very short. If you understand how to read literature, you know, doing a eight or 12 week follow-up on a research study is like nothing. That's like right. spitting in the ocean. So you know, they don't go and show you what happens to all the, you know, Weight Watchers participants 20 years later, because that's wouldn't support their product. That's and right. So you they're see not eight weeks later, 12 weeks later, they, well, show, yeah. like, they show the distance, like this is how right. I, but, but, but that also, I think speaks to our culture and that we want results fast. So we look well, and you see can it. get results. There is no <laughs> denial. You can, if you do exactly what these programs tell you to do most, mostly, which is calorie restricting and things like that, right. You can get quote results. If you're looking at results in on the scale, you can get results and you can get results quickly. But that problem is, is that what you really want? Because right. they don't tell, you know, here's what happens in eight weeks. Well, they don't tell you what happens in nine weeks or 12 weeks or, or a hundred weeks or 15 years. They don't tell you all that. And, and what we do know is that weight cycling is very damaging to the human body. Wow. So what, what that, what I, to say it more simply is like this whole going up, down, up, down, up, down in weight. Like we do, you know, lose a little bit, gain a little bit, lose, but gain more right. that, 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 is right. worse for our long-term health than having a stable weight, even if that stable weight is perhaps a little higher than what you think it should be in your brain. The, you know, the body doesn't like chaos and unpredictability. That is not how it is built. That's not how any biologic system sort of is built. So that is totally chaotic for the body on the inside you know what I mean? On a mm -hmm. cellular level, and it's not designed to stay that way. So these short-term quote wins, and honestly, I don't know if it's a win. Like if you lose a couple dozen pounds in a couple of months or three months or whatever, but in the meantime, you feel miserable. You haven't seen any of your friends. You haven't been able to participate in any of the social functions because there's food. You're hungry when you go to bed every night. Like is that a win? I mean, I don't, that's, I guess up yeah. to you to decide if that's a win. I would argue that's not even a win, but that being said, they, they just, um, the diet industry is a business model. Okay. Everybody has to understand that. And, and I want to say really clearly, I'm not against any person who's dieting. You have listeners that are listening to this right now that are on a diet right now, as we are talking, and I have nothing against you. All right. I have a problem with the deception and the sort of predatory nature of the organization of diet culture, because 
you are assuming that they're delivering healthcare and they are not, they are providing a business for you, a a service, a paid for service model. It is 100% marketing. It is not psychological support. It is not healthcare. It is not eating disorder awareness. It is not anything. It is business and their business depends on you not only continuing to participate because it wouldn't work out very well for them either. If we could like join a program for six months when we were 30 years old and never have to do it again, Mm. that wouldn't be a very good business model for them. Right. Cause you know, so it's more, it's very much more fruitful for them if we do it and then we do it again and then we do it again and bring all our friends. And then, you know, it's sort of like this cell, that's how it works for them. And so they will give you whatever information and, and they're good. Like, let me just put it out there. They're in terms of marketing strategy, any, you know, industry that can do $80 billion of, you know, sales in the United States in one year, that's a good industry. Right. So so they're good at what they do, but what they do is not what you are necessarily looking for. Right. right. So you just have to understand if you want to participate, they're allowed to sell that and you're allowed to buy it but know what it means for you and your health because it's not a healthcare model, it's something else. Hey you guys, fall is here, which means we are coming quickly into the holiday season. And so we're gearing up for our annual Single Mamas Christmas Ministry. Last year, we were able to raise enough money to bless a very deserving single mom in the Nashville area, and it was beyond heartwarming for me to know that we, as a community of women, used our resources to lift this young mama up and let her know that we see her and other women care about her and her young boy. This year, we would love to bless two single moms, and this is where we need your help. First off, we need you to let us know if you are aware of a deserving single mom that could use a Christmas blessing from us. If you have someone in mind, please email us at gamgministries at gmail.com or go to our website and contact us there. Also, we need to start raising funds. So if you want to donate towards this very wonderful part of our ministry, you can do that by going to our website and hit the donate button up in the right hand corner. You can let us know that this money is to be designated for the Single Mamas Ministry, and you'll be kept informed of how the money is being used and who will be blessed by your generous gift. I promise your heart will be warmed by donating to this ministry this year. So that's it. Help us find some deserving single moms and help us raise the funds. We look forward to partnering with you in this this year. And now back to the conversation. The good news though, is that, like you said, our bodies are masterpieces and they work. We just know how to get back in tune with our own bodies. And that is what you do. You, you help coach people in, in what you call intuitive eating, correctly? Correct. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, before we get into, I'm going to ask you what intuitive eating is, but, but let me back up for just a minute you talk about health at every size. So if we don't use weight as a, a, you know, as our guide as to whether or not you're healthy or not, what kind of things do you look for as a doctor to determine someone's health? Sure. So there's lots of um, kind of like biometrics that have way more 
significance in terms of, are you at risk for chronic disease or death, which is really what we're trying to prevent in medicine. Right. right. Um, so things like, are you insulin resistant or insulin sensitive? You know, there's blood work that can sort of tell where you are on that glucose spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. what's your blood pressure, what's your resting heart rate, um, which is a pretty, and not a perfect, but a decent proxy for sort of, uh, cardiorespiratory fitness. Um, there's people of all levels of cardiorespiratory fitness in all size bodies. And there are very many people in large bodies who could outrun outplay many thin people I know, you know, and it's does, so it has nothing to do with the size. Of course, your, you know, your lipid panel, um, knowing that you have a reasonable, um, stress management plan that you're getting adequate sleep, that you're hydrated, that you have access to food, you have access to healthcare, you have supportive social relationships. I mean, there's lots of, there's some hard stuff, hard science, and there's some sort of soft science, but there's hundreds of things we could look for that don't require knowing how much you weigh. That's just honestly our measure of gravity, gravitational pull on our body. And it's really meaningless, but we have like latched onto it as this total just centerpiece. Then it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Well, yeah. Cause the first thing they do when you walk into a doctor's office is they get on the scale. Every single time, every walk, time, every time you walk in, they go, all right, let's see how much you weigh. You know, when you pull it off your purse, you're taking off your coat, yep. you're taking your shoes yep. off you're trying, yep. because oh, you're yeah. like, let's get this number down as low as we can, you know, because we think it means something about us. It, it, it defines us. It's an identity to us. And that's mm-hmm. the problem is that healthcare is playing into that. I mean, there's a lot of weight stigma and this sort of weight centric thinking in healthcare that keeps us stuck because you're right. We, the, if the doctor in the white coat with the bow tie and the white hair who went to school for a thousand years tells you, you need to lose weight. There's no reason that you as a sort of average person would not believe that that's not true. Right. You know? And so, and then when you go home and you turn on the TV and you see an ad for Noom or whatever, like it just, the whole thing comes together and you're like, I'm the problem. Like I, something is wrong with me. Like I'm broken. I can't do this. I don't have willpower. I don't have commitment. I don't have fill in the adjective. And the thing is that every single woman is thinking the same thing. Yeah. The messaging is everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. 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 You can't yeah. escape it. And, and it's getting to younger and younger and younger audiences too. I mean, there's, I just was doing some reading the other day, like two thirds of middle school girls, middle school. So we're talking between probably like 12 and 14 years of age are purposely changing what they eat to control the size of their bodies. Mm. That's a problem for me because Mm. the chance of them suddenly stopping doing that when they're 15 or 18 or 25 or 40 is very low. Like people, people get into this. They don't get out of this. And so the younger, the younger, the more prevalent this messaging is that you should control your body, that you can control your body. And it's your sort of moral obligation to try to do that. That is heartbreaking and it's not helping our health. That's the other thing is whether you think it's nice or not nice, it's, it's not helping anybody get healthier. No, it's usually creating eating disorders is what it's doing. Correct. Right. Correct. So, um, but that's a topic for another day. Let's go on. Let's talk about this intuitive eating. Tell me what that is. Okay. So intuitive eating is a 
framework of approaching your thoughts and your relationship to food. Okay. It's not a diet plan or a like checklist or a, a app or something like that. This framework was established in the 1990s, unbelievably in the nineties by two registered dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, who wrote a book and that book conveniently called intuitive eating, um, recommend buying it's on fourth edition reprint definitely. But there, if you think this sounds a little fringe and crazy in the year 2021, imagine what these ladies in the nineties were up against. Right. Wow. But they knew that the science was behind this. Like the science doesn't support long-term weight loss for health. And so it's a framework for thinking. And what I tell my clients when I'm working with them or my audience, when I'm talking to them is I'm not going to teach you something. What in my perspective, it's a systematized unlearning of all the garbage that's already in your head. You don't need to learn another thing to do because we all have heard all the things to do. We are full. Our brains are full. We are burnt <laughs> out. We are yeah. over full of, of the things. So it's really a, it, that's kind of like my punchline on my first coaching call. I'm like, guess what? You paid me all this money and I'm not going to tell you what to do. And you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what to undo because undo. that's what you actually need. You need right. the logical objective way to unpack all this. Cause just for me to say dieting, isn't good. You should stop dieting so that you can't, you, and, and all these people listening, you know, you can't just like do that. It's not yeah. a switch that just flips. Like I just tell you that and you say, okay. And tomorrow you like think differently about food. Like it doesn't work that way. So the intuitive eating framework is the system by which you unlearn diet culture And it kind of replaces that space because when you pull diet culture out from under people, it is like their security blanket Mm. because it's all you've known. It's like, well, then what is it just like a free for all? I just start like shoving stuff in my face and what what do I do? Like you need people like to have some structure to operate their thoughts off of because otherwise it's just a, like I said, kind of a free for all (laughs) and intuitive eating is the framework, sort of that support system that allows you to disassemble the diet culture thoughts. Gotcha. That's what it is. But here's the thing that's really sneaky. The diet industry, um, they know what's cool and trending, right? They actually know right now that in the year 2021, it's not cool to diet. They know that they've caught on to the fact that people like you and me and all of our friends were, we don't want to diet anymore. So selling us something that's called the diet is not going to sell. So they start stealing words and I'm kidding. I kid you not. This is how marketing works. You look for trends and you jump on them ahead of the tidal wave. So they have started to sort of steal even the word intuitive eating, which as far as I know is actually trademarked by these two women from the 1990s, but they will say, come learn intuitive eating for weight loss or come learn intuitive eating to shape up for your wedding dress or come learn intuitive eating to like, you know what I'm saying? They, they mm-hmm. steal the word because they know that you've heard like a little bit, like you've heard like the name of it. It's kind of this peripheral knowledge. And then you're like, oh, I can do that for weight loss. And that is basically they've blasphemed intuitive eating into a diet. And they their just goal don't. is still weight loss. It's not getting healthy. Correct. Correct. It's, and, and, and it's not health at every size it's health at one size, which is small, but they have to say it in a different way. Cause that doesn't sound we're, we're smart. They know that we're smart. 
And so to say like, we're going to sell you a weight loss product that has a a 96% failure rate. And of the 4% who succeed about half of those people get eating disorders. And, you know, like that wouldn't sell, Mm. like, would you buy, (laughs) would you buy an appliance for your house that they sold you and said like, well, in six months, there's a 96% chance this will no longer work. And then there's, you know, another couple percent chance it might actually hurt you. And would you like to buy another one? Like it doesn't work. Right. So nobody has to be a genius to know that that doesn't work. So they have to, they look for anything that's in fact, you know, Noom, you bring that up specifically, their marketing tagline is it's not a diet. That is their like bright, bold font headline. And I'm like, well, it sure is a diet, Like, <laughs> but, but they have to say, you know, and I made this analogy on my podcast. I said, that's like, if you go to buy a car and you go to the Toyota dealership and you say, hi, I'm here. I'd like to buy a car. And they say, ma'am, we don't sell cars. We sell vehicles. And you're like, okay, well, I need a car. (laughs) Well, ma'am, we have this Corolla here, but that's a vehicle. That's not a car. It's (laughs) like, you would think you were in another universe, like as some sort of alien universe, because it makes, it's just preposterous. It makes no sense, but that's what we think that it makes sense coming from quote experts. And we want to get out of this. Like we want to get out of our body image struggles. We want to get out of the confusion. And, you know, I work primarily with women sort of that identify in midlife. I would say most of my clients are in their forties, fifties, and maybe sixties even. And we're not doing this to wear a bikini on the beach. Like we are literally, we don't want to die. We want to keep up with our kids. We want to go to the grocery store, have some clue what to purchase so that we don't give our husband a heart attack. And we just want to be done thinking about it you know? Yeah. And yeah, that's really it. We just, there's so much noise that we have accumulated over decades of time. We just want out and and we want out for a very non-vanity reason. We just want out of this. And diet culture knows that the diet industry knows that. And that's why they swoop in with all these little things because it looks like our ticket out, Mm -hmm. but we end up in the same thing a month later, two months later, six months later, and we're calling our friend, what are you doing? I need to switch. I'm doing something else. And it doesn't ever stop. Never stops. I know. I know. I mean, I don't know any woman in my life that hasn't struggled with this. And And it's all size people. It's all size people. There's never enough. So don't think that like you get to some magic uh, weight or size or appearance that you don't have these thoughts anymore. Oh, right. It's never ends. Well, I looked back on a picture of myself recently, 20 years ago. And I, I remember the day we took that picture. And I remember that I, I told myself stand kind of sideways so that I look thinner in the picture. Maggie, I was thin. I was thin. I look at that and I'm like, oh, I would give anything to be that weight again, you know? But at the time I thought I was fat. I mean, I, it made me so sad because right. I'm like, we, we spend, we waste our lives. We I mean, really we waste did. our lives. And I wasn't happy. I'll tell you that. I mean, that's the one thing I, it's like, I think I would be happy if I could lose 20 pounds right now. But I look back at this picture of myself when I was 20 pounds lighter, I wasn't any happier. Right. right. And, and again, as a midwife, I'll be 60 in December. I just want to be able to walk around Disney world with my grandkid. I want to have the energy it takes to live life. You know, I still have a lot of life I want to live. So it's about being healthy, not about getting in my skinny jeans again. Right. Well, and 
the thing is that it's like I said, it never will end. We have this fantastical idea that we can start living and doing all the things we want when we get to that goal weight. We right. say, okay, when I do this, then I will apply for that job. Then I will start that relationship. Then I'll have a family. Then I'll travel. Then I'll do this, da, 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 whatever we're going to do. But it, it doesn't work that way because there's somebody else that is 20 pounds bigger than you today, looking at you and saying, when I look like her, then I'll do this. Then I'll do this. Then I'll do this. And you don't feel like that. Right. And the person 20 pounds smaller than you doesn't feel like that. And the person's 20 pounds smaller. So I'm just using that as a number, you know, I don't really like talking about weights, but it's like, no, I got the you. point is that it's the weight it's, is, has nothing to do with it. Hi friends. We're taking one more quick break just to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by God and my girlfriend's ministries. We are a registered 501c3 nonprofit that supports women in all walks of life. Women helping women become everything that God created them to be. That's our mission. We have online book clubs, live events, weekend workshops and retreats, a single mama's ministry, and also this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, get involved in any way with any of our programs, or maybe even help support us financially by donating, you can do all of that on our website, which is GodAndMyGirlfriendsOnline.com. You can also find us on any of our socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and even Twitter. So reach out when you can and let us know how we can serve you or maybe someone that you know. And now back to the conversation. So you're teaching people how to learn to listen intuitively to their bodies and give their bodies what they need to function at the best ability that they can. Correct. Right. Because the body works. I mean, the, the, the idea is that the human body works and it mm -hmm. will work whether you and I care to understand it or spend any time understanding it, it is working all the time. That's what I believe. And, and so we can either learn about that and use that to our advantage and kind of work with it, or we can spend all our time fighting it, but the body does not care. The body's going to do what the body's going to do. Like you're mm -hmm. not going to outwit, outplay, outlast. Like it's just, it always wins. So you decide, I mean, you, you know, basically you make the decision that, okay, I can spend all my energy fighting it, or I can spend all my energy, like learning a little bit about it. And then it won't take as much energy you know, mm -hmm. and just sort of, and move on and just move on. Cause it really wants to work. Like the default condition of the body is high functioning is optimal functioning is good health. I mean, with, and I'm not saying random things don't happen. I mean, I got cancer that was probably caused by nothing specific. I mean, it just random things happen. Okay. But in general, the day to day to day operation of the human body, it works. And yes. that's what health is all about. That's what I think health care is, is under, that's what I think a doctor should do is understand all of that and make that information, which is very complex, consumable for the average person who's sitting in the office, who is not a doctor or right. a scientist or a PhD research person or whatever, like make health applied to real life. And then if you work in public health, the idea is you're applying that to a whole population of people, not just one person at a time. But that's what I think our responsibility is. That's where I think the, I mean, 
you know, you just have to be held to a higher level of accountability if you're wearing a white coat, because it's just, it just is. That's the, to me, that's the ethics of being a healthcare provider. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's not hard. Like the body wants to work. The idea is that it's not hard. And so the thing is like, I make this all sound so Debbie Downer frustrating, but if you aren't trying to fight yourself all the time, it's actually a huge relief. Right. And the amount of time and money and mental energy and emotional expenditure that you waste running in circles, like you can get all that back and divert that to much more useful tasks. Oh, no kidding. And you get to eat more than broccoli and chicken breast. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and it, and you start approaching food with a kind of open mind and a curiosity and a gratitude and a creativity that you don't have when you're dieting because everything is very prescriptive, very rigid, very controlled, very restrained. And that's not fun. I mean, let's just be honest. That's not fun. Okay. So we have this really antagonistic relationship with food because it's the only way we can stay in a diet you know, sort of mentality. But when you get rid of that and you go to the grocery store and you truly can buy anything you want and you're like, whoa, this is like more interesting now. Now this is like game changer. Like Mm -hmm. I might actually like to eat. I might actually like to cook. I might like to be creative. I might like to try something new. I might like to show my kids how to do some stuff. It is just, it's more fun when you're not like totally um, truncating your participation in life because you have to be so rigid about your food. Oh, that's like a huge loss. I had a friend the other day tell me that she, she feels ashamed when she eats something that she enjoy, you know, enjoys like her relationship with food has become almost shameful. Like it's shame-based. Like if I get outside of eating outside of this box, something that I love the way it tastes and the way it makes me feel and, you know, comfort food, whatever, you know, now, and then like, if she has a comfort food meal, then she feels like, okay, that was my guilty pleasure. Like there's guilt involved with that guilt. There's shame because we make the food and see, it works on the other side too. It's like when she eats uh, steamed chicken and broccoli. She feels better about herself. She feels important. She feels smart. She feels valued. She feels, mm-hmm. uh, committed. What I mean, what I'm just speaking for her in general, not yeah, for your no. individual friend, but right. like it's, it is, we t- attach all this human value our like sort of personification of food to us. Mm. And it's not good or bad. And it's really not, that's not how we're, it's literally just food. It's just Like it's just an inanimate object. Like the broccoli does not care about you. It does not make you more ethical or moral that you eat it. If you like broccoli, then eat. I like broccoli. I'll eat broccoli, whatever. But it's not like some sort of like thing that makes me a better person. Right. And if I eat an Oreo, I'm a bad person. It just, you know, and when you take that layer out of it, it actually, the the sort of magnetized, supercharged emotional response. Cause I'll tell you what, this is everybody's fear. When they join my coaching program, the first thing they say is, okay, I hear you. This all makes sense. Nobody yet has told me that it doesn't make sense. Every single person thinks I make sense, but they say, but I'm afraid because if you tell me not to diet, I'm getting in my car right now and I'm driving to Dunkin' Donuts and I'm going to drive laps around the parking lot (laughs) and just eat till I vomit. I mean, like they really are afraid that they will go off the chain, you know, and 
I because say, you said people think they need that structure. Yeah. I said, okay, well, maybe you'll do that today. And how are you going to feel after you do that? Like physically, how are you going to feel after eating four dozen donuts? Right. Probably not great. So are you going to be really motivated to go do that tomorrow? Like probably not. I mean, so you, you learn in a gentle way, you know, and that's an example, just an extreme example, but like there's your body knows what it needs. Like I promise when you're actually listening to your body, you're not going to like only eat donuts and Taco Bell and Girl Scout cookies. Like I, like your body will actually want some produce. Your actually body will actually want some things with fat in them. will want some, I mean, like your body knows what macro and your body, see your body's not in diet culture. You have to remember that your body is like a, all these organ systems and cells and hormones and stuff. They could care less what is on the cover of Instagram. Like they, that's not, that's not a thing. The, the human biology has fundamentally not changed in thousands of years. So right. it doesn't care. It's giving you good signals. It's giving you reliable signals. You know, you're getting confused because you're looking at the pop culture idea of, of health and beauty and whatever, um, which changes. And frankly, it changes about every 30 or 40 years anyway. So that just goes to tell you, it's not science because like a hundred years ago, actually heavy people were more favored. Like in the, the, the late 19th century, like turn of the century, if you were in a large body, that meant you had money, you had food, you had servants, you didn't have to do manual labor. You didn't have chronic disease. It was like actually very revered for, to be in a large body that those people had the the most status. Wow. If you were in a little skinny wafy body, you probably didn't have food. You probably were doing manual labor. You probably had tuberculosis. You probably, you know, Yeah. so to, wow. to think that thinner is healthier and better is a, a social belief system. It's a social programming, right? Right. And it's not your fault that you're in it because like <laughs> I said, if you are under the age of 100, yeah. you're in it. Yeah. Like you're just in it. There's no, you, you didn't like opt in. Like this is a, this is the default in and you have to opt out is really right. how this works. Well, so for people, a lot, it is a lot. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, we are running out of time, so we can't dive too much farther into this, but in the show notes, we're going to link your Instagram, your Facebook, your website, your, um, all the, the places they can find you. Um, because you, you do have coaching programs. Do you have coaching programs open right now? I don't have any open right now, but there is a wait list. Um, but more than that, there's, I have the thing that, um, your listeners may really be interested in is I have a free Facebook group. If they're on Facebook, I run a, a free Facebook group for women. Um, and we talk about all this stuff all the time. I'm it's a very active group. So I'd be happy to invite anybody who's, and that's, that's like I said, free, there's no subscription or anything for that. That's fantastic. We will put that link in, is that what that we did? There's just a link that they can join. We can put that mm-hmm. in our show notes. Yep. Yep. And, I'll, I'll um, that and like I said, you're very active on Instagram. So I know that people will be able to contact you there. So we will list all the places that they can find you. And I, I know that you're going to be such a blessing. I'm so grateful for your work and I'm so grateful for your time here with our community, because like I said earlier, we are all about in our ministry, we're all about empowering women with their, their spirituality, with their friendships and with their self-care, because we believe if women are healthy in those three areas, they're good. They're good. Mm -hmm. You know, husbands, Mm -hmm. kids, those are great. Those are, you know, icing on the cake, but 
those are the three that we really try to help women with. And I know that our body image and the way we feel about ourselves is a a big one. It's, It's a big one part of your bio, there was something in your bio that just got me. And I'm just going to read it. Cause this is when okay. I knew you were the woman for here. It says Maggie <laughs> believes that every woman is influential and worthy. And by empowering ourselves to have confidence and control of our thinking and leaving behind our obsession with dieting, we can show that value to the world. And I think that is true. That's a roadblock for a lot of us being able to show our value. So this is yeah. so fantastic. I think Well, this is so fun. I hope your listeners enjoy it. I love this conversation. I will. Thing. And I have to ask you three little questions. We've been asking all of our guests because um, uh, we are God and my girlfriends. So uh, just really quick. Number one, uh, what's your favorite? I know you're a Christian. What's mm-hmm. your favorite spiritual practice right now? Well, right now I will tell you uh, finding quiet. And I mean, complete quiet because there is so, it, I don't know, everything just feels really heavy right now. Everything. Mm-hmm. And I won't even get into all the things, but everybody just is like kind of fried. Like even, I'm not a person who has a tendency to be kind of overwhelmed or anxious. I'm just, that's not my personality, but I'm feeling this like tremendous pressure and this like kind of background noise yes. with everything going on. And so I try to pray and communicate in quiet, like really, truly quiet. Sometimes it's hard to find between yeah. the kids and the lawnmowers and the this and the no that, kidding. You know? but I think that, uh, you know, God knows what's on our hearts. Like I, you're not telling to me, praying is not telling God something you don't already know. Like, I think that's, you know, I think it's, you're opening yourself to being willing to listen yes. and that requires quiet. So I try to find quiet. Amen. I love <laughs> but, that. I love that. Yeah. Um, number two, I know you're a super busy woman, but we all know that friendships are, are really important in our lives. How do you have time? What is something you do to nurture your friendships right now? Well, you know, it's tricky because we still don't see a lot of people face to face, at least not where I am. We are still, and I'm, uh, being very cautious about, you know, gatherings oh, yeah. in person. Cause it's this COVID thing is not for, it's just not going well, but, I know. Uh, you know, one way I think you can, it, it seems like asking questions goes a long way, like just a single, and it can be super simple, like reaching out to a friend that said, you know, her daughter plays soccer or something. And you say, Hey, I was just wondering if Kaylee's had any soccer games this week. How did they go? Mm. Like just something's not like how are you feeling? What do you think about COVID? How, like, I mean, not, not some huge thing that seems like heavy, but just like a little tiny point of connection. Like, yeah. Hey, I found this recipe and I thought you'd like this. Cause I know that you like black beans or whatever. We, we don't do that very often because That's I think fantastic. we think, we think that our connection point has to be so deep and meaningful. And if it's not exactly just right, it's not worth our time, mm. but just like a little tiny question is just like, I'm thinking about you here's something, or here's a question. And then that's it. And then I have friends where I'll do something like that. And we'll go back and forth for five minutes on the text. And then I don't talk to them for three weeks and that's okay. Like, that's that's okay. okay. That's how it goes. But you just know that they're there and they know that I'm there and I don't know, ask questions or give a recipe or something like that. I love that. (laughs) I love that. So good. And then the last one is what's your go-to self-care practice right now? Well, so now I'm working from home as I have been for the last, you know, about year and a half. And so 
I don't move around as much as I used to when I worked in the hospital because I was on my feet all day in the hospital and like constantly moving. And now I'm like constantly at a desk. And so I have to make myself get up and go outside and super simple. I mean, just like, and I don't mean like go outside for a 10 mile run. I mean, go outside, walk around the yard for five, 10 minutes and come back inside and sit back down on my computer, but just make yourself move and particularly move outside. If you have the ability to go outside is like, Mm totally changes your frame of mind for even just a couple of hours. Yeah. I agree. A friend of mine introduced me to the term forest bathing a long time, just what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. It's a, it's a Japanese term forest bathing. And it mainly means when you go out into the forest and you bathe yourself in nature and it's actually prescribed like Japanese doctors prescribe it to their patients. That's cool. Yeah. Go, go, we need two hours of forest bathing this week. And, um, isn't that great? And so, like I said, we're up in the mountains this week, up in the smoky mountains where we have a little cabin. And now that's my term. I was like, I need to go go for a walk. I need to go forest bathe today. Yeah. (laughs) Forest bathe is an interesting term, but I like that. No, it's, there is a lot and there's, you know, there is studies to show that being outside and direct sunlight exposure and Mm -hmm. smelling things that are outside and just being outside, even if it's for a short period of time, does a lot of stuff for your mental health. So absolutely. I'm trying, of course, you know, I'm in Texas. It's like hotter than the surface of the sun (laughs) right now. So my I'm forest bathing out there sweating like a stuck pig, but it's, uh, you know, we do what we can do. Y'all need some (laughs) AC there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, thank you. You are a delight, Maggie. I appreciate your work. I appreciate your time today. And, uh, we will um, link everything. So hopefully you guys, y'all, y'all check in with Maggie. Y'all get some help. We're going to, we're going to get this. Thank you so much, lady. You have a wonderful day. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Man, oh man, what great information, huh? I, for one, just joined her free Facebook group and I am really anxious to learn even more about how I can get off the diet train once and for all and learn how to listen to my body and just really get healthy. All of her info is in the show notes, guys, so just don't hesitate to reach out to her. I know she would love to hear from you. Well, that's our show for this week. I'm so happy you joined us again, and I hope you'll join us next week as we're going to talk about how to overcome anxiety. I know it's a topic that many of us struggle with, So I hope you'll be here and join us. It's going to be a great conversation. Until then, have a blessed week. Stay safe and be well. 